You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. You can stand for the reading of God's word. We are going to be in Matthew chapter... Five, Matthew chapter 5. Um, as a way of reminder, we as a church are going through the entire Sermon of the Mount. We're encouraging all of our members, and if you want to join us, some of you attenders, to begin memorizing this Sermon on the Mount, to have these passages committed to memory. If you have our app, which where you can find, you can give on that app, you can listen to past sermons on that app. We also have a reading plan a memorization plan for you on that app where we as a church can memorize these words of Jesus. So again, we are in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. And I encourage you to have your Bibles open through the entirety of the sermon as I preach. Jesus says to his disciples, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's thank him through prayer one more time. Father, we thank you that you have spoken. We thank you, God, that you have come down in the person of Jesus. You put on human flesh and you spoke to your disciples and your disciples meticulously recorded these words. Spirit of the living God, unstop our ears so that we might listen today. Would you tenderize our stony hearts so they might be transformed? Would you open up our eyes so that we might see? We ask all this In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you weren't with us last week, we began uh, our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, some of you have seen the image that we are using for our promo series, and it kind of gives a picture of where we're headed for the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like an iceberg. 
that what Jesus is inviting us into is not just outward obedience. It's not behavior modification, which would be the tip of the iceberg. No, he's inviting us into even more, that the rest of the iceberg of our lives, of our whole lives, would mirror and unite with our outward reality, that our actions would line up with our emotions and our affections. This is what it means to be whole. Or what Jesus will later later say at the end of Matthew 5, you are to be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are to be complete just as God is complete. That means in our thinking, in our doing, and in our feeling, we as human beings would become whole. And what happens when we hear of God's perfection, his holiness, the completeness by which he sets the standard for us to live? Well, I'll tell you what happens. You see, one of the first uses of commands or laws is to reveal a standard of what it means to be fully alive and to be fully human. But then if you have a pulse, you come to the awareness that you are not that. You're anything but whole. You're anything but complete. You're nowhere close to the standard. This is what the apostle Paul explains at the moment this happened within his story. Look with me in Romans 7, 7. He says, what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For what I, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. What is the first use of the law? To reveal a standard that we cannot meet in and of ourselves. And anyone who has the smallest shred of self-awareness is able to admit that they cannot live up to their own standards that they have for others, let alone God's standards, to be perfect, complete, and whole. So what are we to do? Is there any hope for us? And Jesus on this mount will say, absolutely. Absolutely. When you come to the awareness that you cannot live up to the standard, that is actually the starting line of living a blessed life. See, what we will discover today in what many call the Beatitudes of Humility is this, that if you want to be full, you must first admit that you are empty. That if you want to be full, hear me, you must first admit that you are empty. And we will view this through two lenses. The first lens, the state of kingdom citizens. The state of kingdom citizens. And the second point is the need of kingdom citizens. And all this will come to a head that if you want to be full, you must first admit that you are empty. If you have your Bibles open, keep them open to Matthew 5. First point, the state of kingdom citizens. So last week, we saw that Matthew wrote his gospel with great intentionality. 
Remember we said that Matthew is mirroring Jesus as the greater prophet Moses, and this mount, this hill that he's preaching from is greater than the law of Moses. And just as the Beatitudes are the intro to the rest of the Sermon of the Mount, the Ten Commandments are to the rest of the Mosaic Law. They are the interpretive grid, meaning this. If we get these Beatitudes wrong, we will miss the whole point of Jesus' sermon. If we don't get these right, then we will be lost. This is why it's crucial that we understand not just what Jesus is saying, but what he is not saying. So what is he not saying in these Beatitudes? Well, first, Jesus is not laying down conditional requirements here. It's not an if-then reality. He's not saying, if you behave a certain way, then you will be blessed. No, we cannot treat the Beatitudes like an hourly wage job. That if you go in, clock in, do the work, then you'll get paid. If you follow these commands, then you will be blessed. No, we have to think of the Beatitudes more like being a child of a father. You are dependent. You are a beneficiary. The child of a father who worked hard to get where he is, who got the job, works the job, gets paid the salary and all the benefits. And as the child, you are blessed, not because of the work you do, but because of what he does. This is the reality of the Beatitudes. When we read the words, look with me, for theirs or for they, it can also be understood as because, right? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse 3. Because you will be comforted, verse 4. Because you will be satisfied, verse 6. You are blessed. Because Jesus already bought these and won these in his blood, in his resurrection, King Jesus gives you this current state and predicament of being blessed. This is how we are as kingdom citizens, regardless of what's going on in our life. We are already blessed because of this future reality that is ours in King Jesus. Do you see that? which gets us to the second thing that Jesus is not saying. So he's not saying it's if then. He also doesn't say blessings for those or blessings to those. He says blessed are those. You see, blessings are gifts that we do not deserve from God. Blessed is a state of being. It's more identity language. It's living out of and into our status as kingdom citizens. Church, you are blessed regardless of what circumstances you're in right now. You are blessed regardless of what sufferings are happening around you right now. You are blessed because you have been made a citizen of the heavenly realm and the heavenly kingdom. This is why I prefer the translation of makarios, not to blessed, but rather flourishing, thriving, 
This is painting a vision of wisdom that we see all throughout the Old Testament. We even read this, that you can be blessed, you can, be, you can flourish even when evil, foolishness, and trials are surrounding you. Look what we read in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You see that? Blessed is the man, not blessed blessings for the man or to the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in a seat of scoffers, but his delight is of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then it goes on to describe him like a tree that's planted by lush waters, and he's not like chaff, useless, pointless parts of wheat. Listen, blessed describes who the person is, not necessarily what they do. Blessed describes who the person is, not necessarily what they do. Blessed, flourishing, is who you already are in Christ Jesus because of the king's work on the cross and his ascension to the throne as you live under the rule of King Jesus. Do you hear the difference? Not blessings for. Blessed are. It is our internal state that is formed by our eternal state of reality that's coming for us in King Jesus. We are inheritors of the earth. We are comforted. We are satisfied. And finally, can we admit that it's a little bit hard, maybe it's just me, it's a little bit hard to understand the language kingdom of heaven and inheritors of the earth. What does that mean? What what does that language mean? And what does the earth have to do with the kingdom of heaven? Well, I I think that most of us, we we tilt our heads sideways in confusion to this in the same way we do when we hear about the British royals or we watch The Crown on Netflix. We don't fully understand kingdom mentality because nearly all of us, with the exception of a few, We're born and raised U.S. citizens, right? And our legacy and our heritage is founded on rebelling against a kingdom and a monarchy. I mean, right? We don't understand this. As Americans, we've always said we don't need a queen and we don't need a king unless it's Dairy Queen (laughs) or it's Burger King. Have it your way right away, which is really the perfect type of king for comfort-seeking and consumeristic Americans. Have it your way, right away. But God's story, King Jesus up on this mount, wants to remind you that there has never been a time where you have not been under the reign and rule of God as king. Because this was the intent of God from the very beginning. God made man God made woman in his image to be representatives, ambassadors, or what many understood in the ancient Near East as vice regents. What would vice regents do? They would rule an area in which the king was not personally living. God set us up to be royalty, to be inheritors 
on the earth. We are to be his image bearers. God is enthroned in heaven. Where? On the earth. And this was before sin, Satan, sadness, and death entered into the world. And this is God's intent for the new earth that is coming with the new heavens when King Jesus returns. And it's meant to inform this kingdom of heaven and how we reign here on earth is meant to inform how we steward our time, our money, how we serve others, love others, how we order our days and weeks. So what is the kingdom of heaven? It is where God reigns and rules. And the earth, what we will inherit, is where we become all we were meant to be in Christ. This is our future reality. We are going to inherit the entirety of the earth and the fullness thereof. Kingdom of heaven is where God reigns and rules, and the earth is where he set us up to be who we were created to be, blessed ones. This is our future status that informs our current state of mind. However, it will not be yours, and it will not be mine until we can admit our need. That if you want to be full, if you want to be full of the kingdom of heaven, if you want to inherit the earth, you must at first admit you are empty. And this is the second point, the need of kingdom citizens. So now that we took a deep dive, a deep dive into what Jesus was not saying, we now want to see what he is saying. And he says, you are blessed when you have poverty of spirit. Look with me in Matthew 5.3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. That's right. He's inviting us into this reality and to live out of this reality because he knows that we cannot live up to the reality. He's inviting you to put your guard down right now. He's inviting you to stop being defensive about your self-righteousness right now. He's inviting you into his kingdom. He's saying blessedness, fullness of God in Christ happens when we admit that we are impoverished spiritually. This very first beatitude proclaims a salvation by grace and not by works. Do you see that? The kingdom of heaven belongs to who? Those who are rich in spirit? No, who are poor in spirit, meaning they are so spiritually bankrupt, they have nothing to offer to get into the kingdom. They have no spiritual good to get into the kingdom. Jesus is saying, if you want to be whole, you first must admit that you are broken. If you want to be full of righteousness, you must first admit that you have no righteousness inside of you. Religion says, work to show off your self-righteousness. The gospel says, come and admit your emptiness. How do we know this? It's 
Because God's invitation in the kingdom, Jesus' invitation, is radically different than outward obedience. You've heard that it was said to those of old, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anybody feeling spiritually broken right now? A couple of you are aware. Or you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. For anybody who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counselor. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. How many murders do we have in here today? Jesus' standard is wholeness, completeness. And what does this do to us? It makes us realize we are empty and we will respond in one of two ways. We are either try to fix ourselves to fill our own selves up with righteousness or we will admit what the law has already declared about us. We are empty. North African theologian from the fourth century writes this. His name is Augustine. You may have heard of him before. He says, the law bids us as we try to fulfill its requirements and become wearied in our weakness under it to know how to ask the help of grace. Do you see what he's saying, what Jesus is saying? You are blessed when you are weak. You are blessed when you are at the end of the rope because there is more room for God to fill you. There is more room for God to meet you. The question is, will you admit it? Will I admit it? Because when we begin to admit it, something else happens. We have a poverty of happiness in verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is not merely mourning the loss of a loved one. The Bible talks about that elsewhere in, in Scripture, but not here. See, if spiritual poverty is a state of flourishing, then it has to run even deeper. It's one thing to admit you've done something wrong. That's the easy part. <laughs> it's a whole other thing to be emotionally affected by it, that you grieve your sinfulness and your shame. And Jesus says, in that morning of your shame and your sin, you will be comforted. The Apostle Paul picks up this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, for godly grief, this is the, the morning that Jesus is talking about, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. When you mourn your sin, you are blessed. Because if you grieve a godly grief, you will repent. And repentance just means if we're headed in this direction, we are turning right back around, not to works. Not to law, but straight towards Jesus, straight towards God. And when we go towards God, he's not waiting for you in anger. He's not waiting for you with disapproval. 
He's not waiting on you to tell you how annoyed that he is with you that you keep sinning the same sin over and over again. No, those who repent and are mourned over their sin, you know what you are welcomed with? Comfort. Comfort. In the Old Testament, God never told the prophet Isaiah to say, preach, preach to my people. He never said, shame, shame, my people. He said, comfort, comfort, my people. What's waiting for you is comfort-filled forgiveness and grace when you mourn your sin. And this is not just weeping over your sin. It's also weeping over the sin of others and the sin of the world. Jesus, who was perfect and whole, what do we find him doing often? He's weeping for the sins of the people. He's weeping because they do not receive him. He's weeping for the judgment that's coming over them. See, too often I think the church is accustomed to the world's beatitudes. Blessed are those who make snap judgments and verdicts after they read a simple headline in the news feed. Blessed are those who judges other people. It's the Beatitudes of the world. But I'm just wondering, what if we as the church, we mourned the sin in the world first. Maybe if we mourned first, we might see the redwood that is stuck in our eye before we notice the piece of sawdust that is in a politician's eye, that is in your child's eye, your spouse's eye, a law enforcement officer's eye, a criminal's eye, a victim's eye. Let me ask you, When was the last time you wept over the sin of the world before you became angry and judgmental about it? When? When was the last time you grieved your own sin and not just the consequence and the ramification of your sin, but the actual sin that you committed against God and God alone before you judged somebody else's sin? See, only those who are aware of God's ready and available comfort in Christ Jesus know that they have the freedom to mourn and lament over their own brokenness first and then over the world's. And the reason why we mourn, family, is we know we are powerless to save ourselves and too weak to save the world. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, for they shall inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. See, despite all appearances, it's the poor, the weak, the powerless, the marginalized that will inherit the earth and reign with Jesus. Because followers of Jesus in this life and the life to come You know what marks them? Gentleness. Humility. 
lowliness, kindness. We respect others. We honor others. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We serve those who seek to potentially oppress us. The world wants to tell us, no, those who are oppressed must become the oppressors. And Jesus says, no. It is not tit for tat. It's not eye for an eye. It is not tooth for a tooth. That if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, give him your other. If anyone would sue you and take your jacket, then give him the shirt off your back. If anyone... If anyone could be like this and live like this, it's followers of Jesus. Because we know this earth is not our home, have it. We will inherit the earth one day. It'll be ours. It will be ours. It'll be like this in the future because that's how God always intended it to be. And those who are in Christ know that our job is to be weak, powerless, and meek because we cannot change this world on our own. See, we hunger and long for a day when all will be made right. We, longer for, we long for justice, don't we? We long for righteousness. And this is what Jesus says will happen next to those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what will happen to you? You will be satisfied. Notice it doesn't say blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be right. Or blessed are those who hunger and thirst to have all the right answers to tell how wrong everybody else is. It doesn't say blessed are those who thirst for an easy life. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice because one day you will be satisfied. Now, anyone ever been hungry before? Come on, work with me here. Show me, I can't see your faces. I can't see your mouth moving. I need some hands, some, some participation. You all been hungry before? You all been thirsty before? It. It takes up your entire thought process, right? It, it just it gets, gets you to stop thinking about everything else, and all you can think of is, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. You're worse than my kids in the back of the van when they're hungry and thirsty. And we have a name for it. It's called hangry. Is this what you're hungry for? Righteousness. Is this what you thirst for? Justice, they both go hand in hand. This is what it looks like living in between the already and the not yet of Jesus' reigning kingdom. We're waiting for the world to be aright while still hoping that some aspects of it would be alive here today, that we would see justice happen, that we would see righteousness happen. We long for it. And Jesus says, you will one day be satisfied and that ought to satisfy you in the meantime. Because you can be blessed. See, those who hunger and thirst for this know that it's coming, but they still want it today. 
They know deep down within themselves they don't have righteousness apart from Jesus inside of them. But then there's those who think that they're completely righteous. You guys know the parable between the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? These two men go into a temple. Let me tell you a a different parable. It's a parable of two individuals who came into a Sunday gathering up on Mount Washington. One of them is an evil, well-known politician. The other is a lifelong church attender. And during the whole service, the lifelong church attender kept saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like that evil politician. I give to the needy. I tithe down to my last penny. I attend every Sunday and three out of four community groups, I'm there. Thank you that I'm not like that evil politician. But throughout the singing, the prayers, and the sermons, this evil politician, all he can think, all he can pray, all he can weep is have mercy on me, a sinner. Service ended. Benediction was spoken. Which one left this room justified and forgiven? Which one left full of comfort? Which one left satisfied? Which one left knowing he will inherit the earth one day? It was the one who knew he was evil because he was empty. Do you see your need? Do you see how empty you are without Christ? Do you hunger and do you thirst for that which you cannot achieve and attain on your own? If you don't, then Jesus in Matthew 23 says, woe to you. Not blessed are you. Woe to you who exalts himself because God will pull you down. Woe to you who knows how to preach righteousness but does not practice it. Woe to you who sit here laughing at the expense of others but do not mourn your own sin. Woe to you who shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and woe to you who love looking clean on the outside like a cup, but you're filthy, empty on the inside. Woe to you. But that woe to you does not have to be the end of you if that's you this morning. Because the only person who ever had the right to preach to others, 
The only person who ever had the right to exalt himself. The only one who ever had the right to say, I'm not only clean on the outside, but I am whole and perfect and righteous the whole way through, was the one who came and ultimately emptied himself. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Do you know who hangs from a tree on the cross? Those who are cursed, not blessed. But Jesus, the only one who can truly say, I am blessed, became a curse because you deserved that curse. And he took it for you so that you can have the status of blessed one, forgiven one. But in order for you to have that grace, to have that status, you must first admit your need. You must first admit that you are spiritually bankrupt. You are poor and needy, sick in sinfulness and shame. And Jesus' promise to you is that you will be satisfied because he will fill you with a righteousness that is not your own, but from him. Amen? And this is the beauty of the Christian life. That Jesus takes our status as the cursed ones so that we can be blessed. And so we come empty. And so if that's you this morning, I encourage you, I plead with you to put your trust in Jesus. That you cannot fill up in yourself righteousness on your own. You need his complete, full, and whole righteousness in order to pardon you from your sin. But if you are a Christian, I don't want you to make the grave mistake that this is only the starting line. But as you go, you have to keep figuring out how to fill yourself up. We're going to have two images up up here right now. And uh, it's, it's the cross chart. Can we get those? the next one up there first? There should be two. This is what we must not do. We must not come to Jesus as we grow in aware of our flesh and sinfulness and we grow aware of God's holiness. Yes, at the beginning of the Christian life, the cross covers that gap. But as we go, anybody with me here, you feel like you have to fill in the gap and pretend you are holy in order to achieve holiness. Or you have to perform prove to others you're not as sinful as you actually are. And what happens is the cross becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. But what Jesus wants to show you in these beatitudes of humility is that he can always fill the gap. He can fill those empty spaces no matter how far the gap is in your mind. And this is what happens for the Christian. Can we show the other one? It's at the cross keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The king who hung on that cross becomes bigger and more beautiful, and we want to say, I now want to follow you. I now want to follow you. John Stott writes this. 
The law sends us to Christ to be justified, and then Christ sends us back to the law to be sanctified. Justification is done and over with. You are already seen as forgiven sinners. And Christ is saying nothing about this sermon is how we become Christians. This sermon on the mount is how you live out and live into the kingdom of God because you know you can't not live up to this kingdom reality. If you are hearing, how do you know you're hearing this message clearly? If your pride and your self-righteousness has brought low today, you realize how empty you are, you are ripe for comfort. You are ripe for grace. You are ripe to be filled up with his ever-present, never-failing love for you. The question is, will you admit it? Will you admit it? In order to be full, we must first admit we are empty. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we ask right now that if there's anyone in here that is struggling with self-righteousness and pride and ego, would you humble